welcome. And if you are a guest visiting with us today, my name is Fred. I'm the pastor here, and it's great to have you here. We're very grateful uh, that you were willing to come and give your Sunday morning to check us out. And not just to check us out, but to worship with us. Uh, it's a very special thing that Christians get to do together. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, we hope that this experience will help you consider your relationship with Christ. Uh, on your way in, uh, we attempted to hand you a handout. If you didn't get one of these, uh, please look for it on the way in uh, the next time you come because we'd love for you to have an opportunity to follow along, take some notes as, as we look at the Word together. But also, uh, there are a couple of QR codes at the bottom. So if you're a guest visiting with us today, you can take your smartphone and just hover the, open the camera and hover over that QR code that says Connect Card, and it'll take you to a brief form that will just, uh, just a way for you to let us know that you're visiting with us today. And uh, if there's anything that we can do, there's an opportunity on that Connect Card to let us know that you'd like to be contacted. We'd love to be in touch with you if you desire that this week. Those of you who uh, are who have signed up to help with the Easter meal outreach, um, there's a table back there. We have the list of items that you are to purchase for that, and we have bags that we would love for you to use to deliver those items. So make sure you stop by the table and uh, grab one of those bags if you were one of the folks who signed up. And there's instructions there on how to complete uh, that process and get those out. So we're uh, looking to help 20 families this Easter with a, with a Easter dinner. And so thank you for everybody who registered to purchase those dinners and deliver them. Uh, we'll be praying that God uses that not just to feed hungry bodies, but to, to draw hungry souls to himself. The building, as Greg mentioned, is coming along quite well. We're very close uh, this Sunday. And then next Sunday is our last Sunday here. Yeah, I think you're clapping for the building, not that we're leaving here. <laughs> it is kind of bittersweet. Uh, God has done great things in this room. I'm very, very thankful that we've had this relationship and been able to meet here at the Need Cafe. Um, but man, is it exciting to be heading into a new season and to have a building uh, that we can use not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week and the flexibility to do a lot of different things, uh, to take some of the weight off of our volunteers from like setup and the things associated with renting a place and to put that into uh, ministry in the community. So it's, it's, guys, if you haven't been in there, uh, it's cool. It's really cool and, and it's coming together really fantastic. So please plan on being there Easter Sunday. Let me remind you that we have two services, not one on Easter Sunday, and neither of them are at the time we normally meet. So if you don't give this some thought and planning, um, something is going to happen Easter morning. So we're meeting at 9 a.m. for the first service or 11 a.m. for the second service. Now I say or, you can certainly come to both, but the, the idea is that we wanted to accommodate more people and give you opportunity to, you know, if, if you need to come to the early service because you've got family things going on and stuff, please feel free to do that. So 9 a.m. or 11, they're going to be identical services. We have kids ministry at both services. We're doing baptisms at both services, not the same people. We're going to only baptize them once unless there's, you know, something happens in between the service and we're like, you probably should get baptized again. We'll invite them back. But the plan is just to baptize them once. If you've not been baptized and that's something you've been thinking about, there's still time to sign up and get baptized. We'd love to do that. Uh, the first time we went in that building, which was almost two years ago now, 
uh, I noticed that baptism and thought, man, this building is just sitting empty. And how awesome it would be to be baptizing people in that baptismal again. And I, I can't wait. Our first Sunday in the building, we got 12 people getting baptized. And so really, really cool stuff. Yep. <clears throat> Uh, there's a few things. We still need some help the next two weeks to pull everything together. If you have some time throughout the week, um, if you can come up and, and just help clean up or do some of these finishing projects, there's like things we got to put together. Uh, Tuesday, we have uh, 200 chairs coming. So those come in on pallets and we got to get them in the building. If anybody's available Tuesday, I think they're going to be there in the morning. So if you're available Tuesday during the day, if we had five or six people, it would be a heck of a lot easier than Greg and I doing that alone. So uh, if you can help on Tuesday or if you can come up another day, contact me. I've got uh, a list of projects, simple things, complicated things, wherever you want to fit in. We got something that you can do. Also, we created an Amazon list of supplies that we need for the church, some things that, that we didn't have to worry about when we were renting that we need now as we go into the new building. Most of it's kids ministry related stuff. So if you have the, uh, uh, um, let's say if you have the means and, and want the opportunity to maybe purchase some of the supplies for kids ministry, please check out our Facebook group. The Amazon list is on there. If you're not in that group, I'd be happy to add you and purchase those supplies. If you plan on doing that, please do that ASAP because because we need those things this week. And most of them are, are prime shipping on Amazon, so they'll come very quickly. So if you can help with that, great. If you can't help with that, no big deal. And speaking of that, I want to clarify, uh, we did this buy your own chair fundraiser. And love the way you guys responded. Everybody uh, just did great with that. But I did have somebody ask me, somebody who doesn't even come to the church, but they were aware of the fundraiser. I did have somebody ask me, they said, now, do we, did we hear that we have to bring our own chair? And I do, I just want to be clear. It's, it's funny, right? But I just want to be clear. We have chairs for everybody. You did not have to buy a chair to have a seat on Sunday morning, uh, except a couple of you. I got special places for a couple of you to sit. But there, we have chairs. That was just an opportunity for people to buy something tangible and practical and something meaningful because God works in our hearts when we gather together like this and sit in those seats. So those seats kind of are, you know, there's nothing special about them or anything. But I, to me, when I bought those chairs, I was thinking about the, the souls that were represented by those chairs. I was thinking, Lord willing, for years to come, new people are going to continue to come and sit in those seats, hear the gospel, be transformed by the word and transformed by the presence of God. And so uh, I hope you enjoyed participating in that. But just to be clear, everybody is welcome. Everybody has a seat. You didn't have to pay your membership dues or anything like that. So, so bring, uh, bring your friends, bring your family, bring your neighbors. Would love to have them there. Um, I think that was it for the building. If you want to get involved or help out or if you have other ways that you can help, let us know and, and we'll get you plugged in. But it's going to be great, guys. So be there on Easter Sunday and let's worship the Lord together. All right, let's get into the word. We've been going through the Gospel of John. Uh, if you haven't been here, a lot of things have happened in the first seven and a half chapters, but nothing that's going to hinder you from understanding where we're at today. So it's a good place to jump, as good a place to jump in as any. So we're going to be in John chapter 8 today. John chapter 8, we'll start in verse 31. I'll give you a second to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be on the screen beside me here. <clears throat> Actually, before I get into that, um, 
kind of to set this up. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you had something difficult to say to somebody else, something that you knew was going to be hard for them to hear, maybe as a parent or just in a relationship or whatever, maybe as a boss at work. And so you tried to kind of say it as gently as possible, but you realized as you're, as you're using the gentle approach that it's just not landing the way it needs to and that you really need them to understand the difficult thing that you're saying. And so at some point you decide just to be blunt and just to come out and say it and put it on the table. I, I look at the passage that we're looking at sort of like that. Jesus takes the gentle approach, but then they're not hearing it and they, their responses indicate that they're not hearing it. And so eventually he just really puts it on the table. So let's look together. John chapter eight, verse 31 through 47. And as I read this, I want you to listen to the responses of the Jewish people. What, what a, look for, as I read, what are they depending on? Who or what are they depending on for their salvation before God? Verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, we are descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. So then you do, you do what you have heard from your father. Now listen again to their response. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. Again, he's, he's taking the gentle approach. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Let's pray as we look at this passage together. Jesus, your words ring sharp, but they also ring true. There are things in this passage that are true, not just of those, the Jews that you were conversing with some 2,000 years ago, but there are things that perhaps are true of some of us and true of, of people who are here today and alive today. And this is an important issue. Who our Father is, whether it be God or the devil. Who it is that we follow, who it is that, that we imitate is of utmost importance. 
So I pray that you give us ears to hear, minds that can understand, and hearts that are ready to receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make three observations, or three applications, really, uh, of, of, this, of this passage. These are on the handout if you care to follow along and take some notes. The first is this, don't make the mistake of relying on someone else's relationship with Jesus for your salvation. Don't make that mistake. This is something people do all the time, and it's something we see illustrated here in the text. I asked you before I read, pay attention to who or what they're trusting in, who or what they are relying on. And in this passage, these particular Jews thought their relationship with Abraham was going to lead to their salvation. They, and they mean their, their, their literal genealogical relationship. They were Abraham's descendants. That's the claim of the Jews. Now, if you're not familiar with what that even means, if you, back in the beginning of, of the story of God's plan of redemption in the Old Testament and, and a couple thousand years before Jesus' time, so we're talking about 4,000 years ago, God called a man named Abraham to follow him and to be obedient to him. And he promised, he made a promise to that man, Abraham, that he would make from him a nation of many, many people. Countless people, he said, that people would, would come from him. And, and when he made this promise to Abraham, Abraham was an older man and he had no children. And yet God fulfilled his promise and he gave him a son. And through that son, he gave him grandsons. And through those grandsons, a nation of people was born. And that is the, Jew, the Jewish people. That's how they began, through this one man, Abraham. And they're still in existence in our world today. In fact, Something really amazing happened a few decades ago because since, well, pretty much back to the time of Jesus, the Jewish people did not have a land of their own. Even in the time of Jesus, it wasn't really their own land, but they were on the land that they were birthed into, and they were, they were living there and occupying that land. But after that, they were dispersed throughout the world, and for like 1,900 years... They were just dispersed around the world. And then the Holocaust happened where uh, evil men tried to wipe them out from the face of the earth, which is an indication of the fact that they are a unique people, uh, because who does that? That's insane. But they almost succeeded. And so after, after the Holocaust, some of the, the nations around the world said, we need to provide a place for the, the Jewish people, these descendants of Abraham, to live. And they brought them back to, they gave them back the land of Israel. And it is the most contested piece of land in the world today. There's unbelievable tension in Israel because it is the epicenter of God's story, of God's plan to redeem mankind. And it's an incredible place to get to go and visit. And there will continue to be tension there for some time. So that's the story of these Jewish people. So they take great pride in being descendants of Abraham. So Jesus starts to talk to them, and he, he says you know, things like, if you continue my word, you really are my disciples, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And they're like, wait a minute, set us free? We're the Jews. We're Abraham's descendants. We don't need to be set free. We come from Abraham. 
We have never been enslaved to anyone. They have been enslaved to almost everybody. <laughs> but in, in their mind, and not just in their mind, but in their relationship to God's covenant with Abraham, they, they are free. They don't need this freedom. Jesus says, anybody who sins is a slave. See, he's not talking about their, their genealogy. Even their status as freer, enslaved people in the physical. He's talking about their slavery to sin. But they keep going back to, again and again, verse 33, we are descendants of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? So Jesus responds, this is what I'm talking about. This is why you need to be free. Then they say again in verse 39, our father is Abraham, because Jesus starts talking to them about who their father is, and he's not just coming out and saying it yet. He's, he's being subtle. He's hinting that. And then they say, wait a minute. We weren't born of sexual immorality. We only have one father, and it's God. So two times they say, our father is Abraham. We come from Abraham. And then Jesus kind of debunks that. He's like, well, if your father is Abraham, why don't you do what he did? Why are you behaving in, in a way that is so contrary to who Abraham was? And so they give up on the Abraham argument and they say, okay, if, if Abraham's not our father, then God is our father. And Jesus is like, funny thing, I came from him. He actually sent me to tell you that you're not his kids. In fact, you have a different father. But through this whole thing, there's this thing where they're just relying on their genealogy. Jesus calls them out. He's like, if you, if you think you're sons of Abraham, then live like Abraham. They're like, oh, we don't have to live like Abraham. We're his descendants. We have God as our father. No, 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 you're not hearing me. God isn't really your father. And I think a lot of people make this mistake that maybe you grew up going to church or, you know, maybe you're married to a, a, a good Christian, but you don't really take it that seriously or anything. And, and we're kind of like trying to ride on somebody else's coattails. We're hoping that our proximity to or our descendant, descendancy from someone who has an actual relationship with Jesus is going to include us in their salvation, but every man, woman, and child needs to decide for themselves whether or not they will put their trust in Jesus. You can be the son or the daughter of the Pope. Maybe that's a bad example because I don't even know if that dude's saved. <laughs> Mother Teresa. I don't know. Somebody that, that we could agree like loves Jesus and does what Jesus says to do. It doesn't matter how close you are to them. You will stand before God and give an account for how you, as an individual human being, has responded to Jesus Christ. I don't know a lot of the details about what that looks like to stand before God and be judged, but I'm pretty certain that one of the details we can count on is that there won't be anybody else there to influence the judge. It'll just be you and the life that you lived. <laughs> Unless you trust in Jesus. Because the Bible says he's our advocate. And he, he, at the Father's right hand, advocates for us. But he's the only one that can do it. Nobody else can do it. I remember a, a time 
when I was, I think I was still in college. I was a, a young adult man, and I got caught speeding, and I was speeding pretty good. I was going pretty, pretty far over the speed limit, and um, some of you don't do that. You're judging me, and <laughs> whatever, um, but I got a pretty hefty ticket, and I went home, and so my dad, I grew up, my dad was in law enforcement for 30 plus years, and uh, he knew all of the law enforcement, you know, in our area, and, um, you know, anytime you got caught breaking the law with your dad as in law enforcement, it's, it's not a pleasant conversation, right? But I'm still living at home, and so I had to tell him, I'm like, yeah, it happened. I got, I got caught speeding, and uh, there's this thing on the back that says, do you plead guilty or not guilty or something along the lines of that? And if, if you plead not guilty, you get a court date. Most of you know this because you're like me. Uh, you probably don't drive the speed limit. Uh, so I was like, well, I'm guilty. I did it. Like, I was there. I know what happened. So I should probably click that. He says, no, put not guilty. Send it in, and they'll set a court date. So I go in for this little hearing, you know, where you go before the magistrate. And he said he would come. My dad said he would come with me. And so I have to stand in front of the judge, and my dad is just sitting in the back. And I distinctly remember the judge giving me, he gave me the lecture about how dangerous what I was doing was and why I shouldn't do that. And he was right. I mean, there was, I, was, I was guilty. I wasn't denying that, and I agreed with him. Um, and I think the next day I slowed down. Um, and then, but then, you know, it just, time keeps going. It's a, it's a, it's, it's hard. Um, but, you know, I'm facing a couple hundred dollar fine here and some points on, on my license and stuff. And so I'm a little bit concerned about this. And I remember that judge looking at me and he says, what you did wasn't right, but because I have, and he has not addressed my dad and my dad has not addressed him. He says, because of the amount of respect I have for that man in the back of the room, we're going to reduce this down to this, this, and this. That's what an advocate looks like. His mere presence sent a message to that magistrate. Now, I understand magistrates do that all the time. I'm not saying anything unique happened. But the way he worded it stood out to me, that he had done something that earned something that was now being deposited into my account, if you will, right? When we stand before God, here's the thing. My dad and his reputation isn't going to do a thing for me. I'm going to have to stand there without anybody else to make a deposit into my account, without anybody else's reputation to ride on, except for one man, and that's Jesus Christ. And so your reputation, what I'm saying is your, your relationship with, with any other human being is going to be completely irrelevant in that moment. You're going to stand before God and be judged on how you responded to Jesus. And if you have trusted in him and if you have a relationship with him, a saving relationship through believing in him and putting your trust in him, then you you will receive the benefits of his advocacy. But if you don't have that relationship for yourself, you will not be able to say, but my dad, or but my mom, or but my spouse, or but my brother, or any, but my pastor, or anybody else. Nobody else can advocate for you. So don't make the mistake of relying on someone else's relationship with Jesus for your salvation. Are you understanding what I'm saying? 
You're going to stand before God and be judged. That's hard to imagine, but it's true. The Jews may have descended from Abraham, but Jesus is calling them to live like Abraham by putting their faith in him. What did Abraham do? He, lit, he put his faith in, in God. He put his faith in the, the message that God brought to him. He put his faith, and his faith led to obedience. But now his, his offspring, his descendants, many generations later, are saying, it's enough for us to have descended from a man of faith and to not have faith ourselves. And Jesus is very clearly saying, you've got a big problem here. Your forefather's faith isn't making you right before God. You need to have that faith for yourself. All right, so just one last time. Don't make the mistake of relying on someone else's relationship with Jesus for your salvation. Next thing, we are born slaves to sin, but Jesus offers to set us free. We're born slaves to sin, but Jesus offers to set us free. Let me give you a second to fill in those blanks because then we're going to move on in the slides when I start reading next Here's the problem that they're having. They're, they're not even seeing their need to be set free. Jesus is talking about if you believe you'll be set free, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they're like, we're already free. They think they're okay. And that is the most dangerous place to be as a human being, to think you're okay before God. And to have, I mean, these people literally had Jesus standing in front of them, correcting them about that, and they're still not willing to receive it. How much more should we expect that people who I'm standing here trying to convince you of something that you're not going to believe it? We need to be very careful about this. Because the Bible is true from beginning to end that we're born slaves to sin. So this is what happens in verse 34. Jesus responded, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. This might be a little bit uncomfortable for you, but I'm going to ask for your participation. If you have committed sin, would you please raise your hand? Oh, let me define sin. Sin is <laughs> anything, anything that you've done that's contrary to what God wanted you to do in your life, big or small. If you've committed sin, would you please raise your hand? Okay, I can't even tell if everybody has their hand up, but everybody should. We've all, we've all fallen short of that, right? And we need, to be, we need to be able and willing to admit that. We need, that's the, that's the first step in receiving salvation is agreeing with God's judgment that we have sinned. And we treat sin as a little thing. I do it all the time. I just, I just did it to some degree with the whole speeding thing, right? We, we, ha we don't always view sin. We couldn't. We could not bear the weight of really understanding what our sin is. We just couldn't. If you, and, and a lot of people, the degree to which you stop and think about it is the degree to which you, you feel that heaviness sometimes. Without the help of Jesus, if we stop and think about what it means to sin against a holy, righteous God who created us in love and gave us everything that we have. He gave us life. He gave us breath. He created a world that sustains that life that we can live in. He gives us new opportunities every day. And if we stop and think about how insane it is to rebel against him by saying, I know this is what you think I should do, but I'm going to do this. It would crush us. But by the grace of Jesus on the cross, it would just crush us to realize how sinful we really are. 
but we need to feel that weight enough to say, I need Jesus. I need a Savior. So we're born slaves to sin, but Jesus offers to set us free. He responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. You, I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the father. So then what you, you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pause right there. A couple things. Jesus is showing them the disconnect between what they say. We're part of Abraham's family. And Jesus is like, but here's the problem. Abraham didn't try to kill me. Abraham believed in me and had faith and followed me, right? Uh, so he's saying these two things aren't lining up. The reason they're not lining up is because you're not really Abraham's children. You have a different father. And he doesn't come out and say who it is. He just says you have a different father. So I, verse 38 again, I speak what I have seen in the presence of the father, the one that you think is your father. So then you do what you have heard from your father. Who is their father? They're like, what, verse 39, our father is Abraham. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. Again, he's telling them, Abraham's not your father. You do have a father. And you're doing exactly what he does every minute of every day. They're like, no, 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 Jesus, what you're saying is not true. We weren't born of sexual immorality. They said, we have one father, God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. There it is. He lets them have it. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. You have a father. It's not Abraham and it's not God. It's the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? These are religious people who presume to have a very unique and special part in God's plan for the world. They're, they're Jews. They're, they're descendants of Abraham. He's saying, but in reality, your father is the devil, and you want to carry out his desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Some translations say his native tongue. That's his language. His language is lies because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen because you are not from God. So all this time people are are putting Jesus on trial and trying to convict him and trying to judge him. And they're trying to figure out who he is. And now he's turned the tables and he's, he's judging them. He's putting them on the stand and he's just laying it on them. You're slaves to sin because your father isn't Abraham. Your father is the devil. And all he does is lie and want to kill and destroy 
If you were Abraham's descendants, you would do what Abraham did. And the reality is, is this is how all of us are born. And just like these Jews, we don't necessarily know it. We don't see it. We don't believe it. We don't think we're that bad. Usually because what we've done is we've compared ourselves to another human being. If that's the standard, you may not be all that bad. But God does not judge by that standard. That standard is completely irrelevant in his courtroom. The standard that he judges, he doesn't, he doesn't grade on a curve, if you know what I mean. He judges by his standard, which is set by his righteousness. And by that standard, we don't measure up. That's because we're slaves to sin. And so we don't always even know that. We don't always even realize the danger that we're in. And that's why Jesus comes. He comes to bring light in the darkness. Remember, we talked about that last week with Pastor Scott here. He comes to be the light in the darkness, to, to open our eyes and to open the eyes of the world so that people will see. We are born slaves to sin. That's the troubling news. But the good news, that's what gospel means. Gospel literally means good news. The good news is that Jesus offers to set us free. How does he do that? Well, we have two major problems before God. The two biggest problems that we have are sin and death. We sin and then we die. That's your two biggest problems in life. It's not your bills. It's not your, it's not your job. It's not your, your marriage relationship. Your, your biggest problems in life are sin and death. But Jesus comes to the earth and he has an answer for both of those. For sin, the answer is the cross. What he does is he goes to the cross and he dies to pay our debt of sin. He, he dies to take, he literally takes your place. He literally stands there and bears the punishment that you deserve on himself. That's what love looks like. Not just to say, I wish you well, good luck with that, you know, have fun. Uh, he takes it on himself. He steps in. He has this, let's say, agreement with the Father. Between the Father and the Son, they have determined that God will take the wrath that he has. God the Father will take the wrath that he has, the just and necessary wrath that he has for our sins. And he will allow the Son, Jesus, to stand in our place and to bear that punishment. So your first problem is sin. Jesus solves that by going to the cross and paying for your sin. So that your debt is completely paid, 100%, paid in full. You don't owe another dime. The God, he has no need to punish you, even in the least. And then the other thing is death. What does Jesus do about death? The first thing he does is he dies. But he doesn't stay dead. He solves your problem of sin on the cross. And he solves your problem of death by resurrecting from the grave. That's what we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks on Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus. He defeated sin on the cross and he defeated death by not staying in the grave. He comes out of the grave on the third day, rolls that stone away, and he has accomplished victory over your two greatest problems. Now, how do, you, how do you receive that? So if you're born a slave to sin, but Jesus offers to set you free, how do you become free? He sort of answers that question here. 
We know from the Gospel of John, he's calling people to believe and to receive him. Those two ideas, they, they work together to believe and to receive him. Okay, to embrace, the, embrace what he has done, to embrace this gospel message, but also to embrace and to commit yourself to the life that he calls us to live. Okay, so here's the third and final thing that I want to say from this passage that sort of answers that question of how do we become set free. Will we believe and receive? And then the third point is this. You will know you are free if you continue in him. Sometimes, sometimes we're looking for the comfort that comes from just a short, easy answer that we can give an affirmative, strong yes to. And I think that's, I think that is good. And I think for the most part, we can, we can do that. Like if you were to say to me, how do I know that I'm saved? I would ask you a couple of questions about your heart attitude and your response to Jesus and to the gospel. And if you said, yes, that's what I believe. I'm trusting in him. I believe that he died in my place. And I'd say, I think, I think you're saved. But there's part of us that doesn't really know if, if that's completely true until there is a season of proving that we really believe that. Because a lot of people might be moved in a moment to respond to those types of questions. Like we, we might get all hyped up and excited here today. And I say, does anybody want to uh, believe in, and trust in Jesus today? And you, and you might respond affirmatively to that. And then nothing might change. You might not even come next week. You might not read your Bible. And, and, and you just, that happens. It happens. I don't know why, but it does. It happens. People will respond to things like that. But then nothing happens. They don't follow through. Jesus anticipates this. We know we're slaves to sin. We know we're slaves by what we obey, right? So by that logic, we know we're slaves to sin when we sin. The same then can be true of knowing if we have been freed from slavery and are now sons and daughters, we'll know because we remain in him. To remain in him is to have faith, to trust him, and to seek to obey him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to balance that. I don't say balance, but I'm going to expound on that a little bit. But let me read the text, okay? Verse 31, this is how our passage started. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, this is before all that discussion about Abraham and your father, okay? This is the very beginning of our passage. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. People are starting to buy into his message. There's a lot of people around Jesus, crowds of people. Some of them are very close to him. Some of them are casual observers. And I think people are starting to wrestle with this idea. And certainly it's on Jesus's mind. Who, if you're saying there's this dividing line of belief and those who are on one side of belief have this fate and those who are on the other side of belief have this fate, how do we know who has believed? Jesus says it. You, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you continue, if you continue. Verse 34, Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. 
think about what those words mean. If you continue, if you remain, how do you know you're free? Because freedom, this is where it gets tricky, guys. Freedom doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like. Freedom doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. Freedom doesn't mean you don't have the desire to sin anymore. Freedom doesn't mean you all of a sudden become this perfect person just like God created you to be. You're still going to struggle with sin. God has made payment for your sin, but the presence of sin remains in the life of believers, and we still have those desires. Now, some of those get better instantly. Some of those get better gradually. We do grow, and we do become more like Jesus. Our desires do become more and more like him, ideally, as we mature in faith. But honestly, not enough to convince me of my own salvation. Like, I'm still sinful enough to make me think, oh boy, if this is dependent upon my behavior, I've got a really big problem. So how do we know we continue and we remain in faith? We keep, we keep believing. We keep trusting. We keep embracing the gospel. And we keep seeking to live more like the people he created us to be. We continue we remain. We keep going. You will know you are free if you continue in him. Listen to how John, I want to go back to the very beginning of John's gospel. This, this is going to take us back about six months in this sermon series, back whole way back to September. In John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, there's these important verses. If you remember back in September, we, we spent that whole month on verses 1 through 18, what's commonly thought of as the prologue to God, John's gospel, where he kind of lays out the things real succinctly that he's going to expound on for the rest of the gospel. And one of the things he says back then, he says, he came to his own, speaking of Jesus, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. You're born a slave to sin. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus offers you the opportunity to be born again and to be, to be born again as a son not as a slave, or to be born again as a daughter, not as a slave. Remember the first point was don't depend on somebody else's relationship with Jesus for your salvation. Jesus wants you to have a personal relationship with him for your salvation. He wants you to know him for yourself, and he wants you to remain in him and to continue in him. What I'm not suggesting is that we need to maintain our salvation, what I am saying is that I think that our salvation is proven through remaining and continuing in him. And that's, a, that's an issue that gets difficult. I know uh, there, I think there's, there's a lot of things that we start to think about. We start to think, well, you know, we have loved ones who maybe made a profession of faith at one point, and then they didn't necessarily remain in him. Let's not be quick to, to judge or decide what we believe has happened with them. Let's trust and believe that perhaps God really did do a saving work in that moment of their life that just didn't get lived out the way we had hoped. That, I, I don't think we, we want to go down the road of trying to decide 
what has happened uh, with loved ones who we maybe didn't see the fruit that we had hoped to see, but there was this profession. Because there are examples of people who made professions of faith, momentary professions of faith that we don't hear anything else about in Scripture that God seems to have genuinely saved. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. But generally speaking, true salvation will be borne out by remaining and continuing and, and sticking with it. That doesn't mean you don't sin. That doesn't mean that you do it perfectly. It does mean that you stay with it. And that you continue with Jesus for the long haul by his grace. He gives us a chance to be born again. To, I was thinking about this this morning. I don't, I don't, it's been a long time since I really played like any video games or anything, but I remember as, um, back when Halo was popular. I don't know if that's still a thing or anything. I'm just making myself, <laughs> people have opinions about these things. But I remember I had a friend when I was in like college age, I had a friend that was really into Halo and he talked me into playing it with him. And what it is, is it's like a shooter game where you're competing with a bunch of other people playing online. And once you get, once you get killed on there, you regenerate, which means you, you appear somewhere else, like completely brand new as if you didn't die, right? You read the problem with Halo is, and the problem with playing online is there's like, some of these dudes are really good. And like, every time I would regenerate, I would just get like sniped. And I was like, this is stupid. I just keep dying and regenerating. But I was thinking about that idea of regenerating. That's essentially what Jesus offers us. When he's talking in John 3 uh, to, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking. Is it Nicodemus? No. Who's he talking to in John 3? Nicodemus? Okay, cool. So he's talking to Nicodemus. Thank you. I was like, I was having a moment, so I appreciate the affirmation. So he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3 about being born again. You need to die and be born again. You need to be regenerated. Respond. That's what it is. It's called respawn, right? Is there any Halo guys here? Resp I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> you need to be born again. And in a couple weeks when we do those baptisms, I want you to have that image in your mind. Because what baptism is, is it's an outward expression of what has happened inwardly in our lives. We've been born again. And so when I, when, when I get in that baptism with somebody and I ask them to affirm their faith through a couple of simple questions, then I'm going to say, I, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to put them down in the water. That is symbolic of our need to die because of our sin. And it's uniting us symbolically with what Jesus did. We deserve death. He died for us. So you die and you go into the grave, but Jesus did not stay in the grave. And so we come back out and we're born again into new life. Again, it doesn't happen in that moment. That's not my belief. Anyhow, it doesn't happen in that moment, but it's, a, it's an expression of that beautiful thing that has happened, that we have been born again. And that's what we need we're born slaves to sin, but Jesus offers to set us free. And so I want to invite the worship team to come up and get ready. And I'm not going to turn this into an emotional moment. I don't want to do that. But I do want to ask, is there anybody in this room who needs to be born again? Is there anybody in this room who's willing to say, I'm willing to, not just willing, I need to admit and to confess that I am a sinner. I am a sinful man or woman, and I need a Savior, and I believe Jesus is that Savior. As you ponder that question, I want to ask everybody to just close your eyes, just so this is, 
this doesn't need to be a public thing right now. If there's anybody here who wants to be born again, who wants to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior today, and you're ready to trust in him because you believe what he did, he did for you, would you just slip up your hand? Because I'm going to pray in a minute, and I'd just love to know who I'm praying for. Just slip up your hand so I can see it. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, we're sinners. We're broken people. And it's much worse than we think. Your word says we're, we're born slaves to sin. And slaves don't get to stay in the house forever. Eventually, there's a separation. But sons and daughters remain forever. That's what you said. Jesus, would you make me a sinner into a son? And would you make those in this room who are calling out to you for salvation, would you make them sons and make them daughters? Would, t would you let today be the day that we no longer depend on somebody else's relationship with you for our own salvation? But today be the day we know you personally. Come into our lives, take away our sin and our shame, replace it with your forgiveness and your love and your grace. Cause us to be born again into eternal life. I thank you for that. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.